One of the meditation masters of the Forest School of Thailand, Ajahn Tate, who's a contemporary of Ajahn Chah, said that we practice so that we can know the difference between mind and the activity of mind. And so tonight I'd like to uh, contemplate um, and reflect on how how do we practice to bring about that insight using the, these two frames and these two approaches that complement each other and inform each other, the, the samatha, samadhi, the calming, steadying, so the jhanic path, and the vipassana, dhamma-vijaya, the inquiry and uh, insight and uh, how these two are necessary um, for the, the cultivation of, of this, uh, not only this insight, but for the, for the path. Um, so just to, just to reflect um, a little around that in terms of um, practicing here at the forest refuge in this uh, space and in the quiet um, stillness of the space, we um, have a great opportunity to see a lot of how the mind is, how it moves and where it goes and where it dwells and its activity. And more often than not, that's um, mostly what absorbs our attention. We, and particularly if we're not um, intersecting the flow of the mind with some path activity, then our normal awareness is really concerned with that uh, activity of mind and how that uh, flows incessantly and how it's uh, connected with the sense of uh, me uh, and my narratives and within that the sense of time uh, from the what's uh, memory, what's gone before and where we're going to and, and how, in a way, difficult it is to come out of that stream of the narrative thinking mind um, and to turn the mind, to turn attention um, beneath or beyond or behind that because, you know, who are we if we're not thinking? <laughs> you know, what, 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 are we, what are we about if we suddenly... the 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 uh, sense of what we've been and where we're going starts to unravel a bit and it can be very disconcerting to to feel underneath that and and you can feel a bit lost or a, fo- a bit footless or a bit goalless um and it can bring up some perhaps ambivalent feeling tones um anxiety uh, fear even um so it's a, it's a very profound area to contemplate. I remember when um, I was uh, practicing in the monastery um, at that time under Ajahn Sumedho at uh, um, Chithurst uh, Forest Monastery in the UK. And we were doing, we do these long retreats, um, anything from a month to three months every year, sometimes um, they would be uh, three-month winter retreats and then sometimes in the summer, six weeks uh, personal retreat. 
Um, and I was on one of these personal retreats, which I sort of often used to feel like I, you know, I feel a bit of a failure at it. <laughs> I fla- fail around because, you know, because, uh, because I actually would, would notice I practice a lot better when there was a lot of people and, you know, a sense of sangha and holding. And then left on my own, it was uh, quite challenging, especially as a young nun with a sort of mind bouncing all over the place. And so, you know, but I worked at it and... Uh, during this one one of these retreats that I was doing, I had this moment um, when I was sitting late one night and the mind uh, uh, just stopped. And um, and what arose, it wasn't actually peace, was was just this sort of enormous sense of terror and 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 fear. And it was very prim- primal. And um, and. What then arose was in my mind that I created a strategy, of course, is that I had to actually face this down, this fear, this sort of very primary fear. So the structure of the self often is very wound in with this energy of, of uh, fear and desire, so moving somewhere and moving away from something. So when you feel that in a very raw sense, at a very energetic level, um, it, it's it's quite overpowering, but my in my mind and the approach of the training in that in that uh, in the style of our practice in those days was sort of like a a warrior style. You just take everything on head on. I, I had this idea that I should actually increase the fear so I could really <laughs> practice with it, and that I would uh, take myself out into the forest and practice at night and you know scare myself to death and see where that went. So I had the wherewithal somehow to approach my teacher and just check if this check this out if this was a good strategy, and I thought he would probably be quite pleased, uh, but actually he uh, said, "Well, <laughs> he didn't think that was a good idea." <laughs> but what he actually said is that when these deep um, patterns come up, these deep reactions come up. Um, from the from the disintegration or the disconstruction of what has been constructed and what we've relied upon, he said, actually, what you actually need is a lot of patience and not to just push through um, and sort of send your system into shock and overwhelm, but to just be very patient, but to keep working with what we, you know, the core of the practice through this uh, Samatha Vipassana, calming and insight, and to let these states um, dissolve and fade away in their own time, that you can't just crush some of the what arises and what is difficult to be with. So actually that was a relief. <laughs> I was let off the hook. And, uh, and, and it felt very true and very right and very good guidance for working at, at a deeper level as we are doing now when we sort of are facing and sometimes not very easy uh, states that start to arise in, in the space um, that, we're, that we have here. So the, you know, the mind and the activity of mind, the mind in and of itself, um, the jitta, the, the unobstructed jitta, heart-mind, as Ajahn Chah said, is already free, um, yeah, it's a, it has a quality of, a, you could say it's a awareness, uh, in, in that awareness, conscious awareness, it has this quality of knowing, knowingness. Not so, so much 
knowing about things and cataloging things through our sort of um, filing cabinets of information, it's actually a, a knowing that uh, that is before we we know things as an object and have names and and sort of pull out of the sort of interwoven nature of reality. We pull out these discrete entity and have a name for it and then we catalog it and then we have a story around it. This is me, this is you, this is a tree, this is a bird, this is good, this is bad and so on. So before we do all of that, um, the actual fundamental nature is just a, a pure knowing. It's this word panya or prajna has this, uh, this uh, within it in the Sanskrit has the um, etymological meaning actually has a sense of before we know something, that wisdom is before we go out and objectify something. This is pure state of knowing has an almost unknowing in it, a, a sort of unpackaging, a stripping away of how we've designated ourselves in the world. So to, to turn and to rest and to, to recognize just the fundamental state, state of mind is in some ways is the most easy thing because it's our, our natural state. But in other ways it's the most tricky thing because we are caught up in the activity of what, you know, the, the, the um, being um, shaped by the activity of what moves through the, the fundamental space of the aware, awareness of the heart. And so in the, in the, uh, you know, in the summertime of Vipassana, the summertime is just beginning to, to calm some of that activity uh, through as we've been doing, through bringing attention uh, to the um, body breath, the foundations. This is a very profound teaching, actually. It's also very simple. We can, you know, what's the higher path? What's the real teaching? But actually this, this kind of is pretty... Um, core and essential and profound and it's the teaching that the practice that the Buddha used on the night of his awakening it's the practice he taught a lot it's the practice that we come back to again and again just this simple returning to how is it within breath and body and as we do that you know and go a little bit beneath the cognitive frames we have some ground from which the the activity particularly the, the, the vajisankara, the mental activity, can begin to settle um, to some degree. And this uh, unification, as we've been practicing and talking about the samadhi, the, the beginning to taste some of the pleasure and the, the peace of feeling the uh, body, mind and heart unifying within awareness, suffused with awareness, this fundamental nature of mind and, and that sense of um, a coming together, not being disparate, not being pulled all over the place. So this samatha, you know, this is one of the bedrocks of the practice and it's, it's based upon training attention to, to what is an object to aware, of awareness, which in this case is, is body breath. It can be to sound, it can be to... Um, you know, color, it can be to sky, it can be to candle flame, it can be to mantra. But for the primary purpose, we are using the first foundation of breath, body. And uh, so the tension isn't just being dragged here and there, 
but has a, a steadying point of contact. So as this as samatha and calming um, is developed, um, it's a very patient practice, and as we talked about, Ajahn um, Lee, would the other Thai forest master, would say that, you know, this is like that bridge that spans the fast-running river. You have a pillar at the one side of the river and a pillar at the other side, and that middle pillar going down through the deep currents of the river is a bit like the middle pillar of samadhi of the three factors of the path going right down through the deep currents of the mind. And it's not easy. It takes a lot of patience. It's a lifetime practice because those currents are very strong, the currents of the mind. Um, and when we have that some steadiness, we, they, that current actually even gets more highlighted because we're not just following the momentum of it. But still, it's a very important aspect of the training to train the mind, breath by breath, moment by moment, and then we get caught up, and then how is it now? We come back and we start again. So it's always uh, has this, in some ways, you don't really achieve it. <laughs> achieve some great I mean you know there are the deepening of peace as Ajahn Chah said peace more peace more peace you know you say jhana and so on you know deepening of a steadiness and unshakability and absorption but generally speaking it's it's pretty fragile for most of us as it gets interrupted and life crashes in or the mind the patterns from within emerge but it's still very important um, and sometimes we don't even recognize how much samadhi is there. You know, that actually it's not always perceptible um, because it's not, you know, we're sitting in a field of it. So it's not just us, we're contributing to that field, all of us together. So when we come here, we're supporting that quality of samadhi. Um, but you notice it, you know, if, if you sit for a few weeks and then you, you go outside get on the freeway or something, you'll, you'll notice that you, you, the state you're in is different than, than everyone rushing along, um, you know, moving very fast. And you'll notice that there's the, you know, it's just hard to see. You haven't got that mirror so much here and it's hard to recognize it. But, but there is a, a gathering that just happens from just being present and being in this context, in this container. And in many ways, the deepening of uh, samatha, samadhi, jhana, this steadiness, uh, stillness, absorption, is, is quite a lot dependent upon the container. You know, non-distraction, non non-interruption, um, a certain ability to, to, to sit with the content of what's emerging without getting overwhelmed. Certain level of sometimes of body health, so you have some energy, some strength, um, and some of the fruits from that. You know, you can feel some more peace, maybe ple- pleasant abiding, uh, some clarity, uh, perceptivity, um, healing. It's also the healing aspect of the path, and be very healing for the body. Um, psycho-emotional um, dynamic of our feeling tone. It uh, can be very soothing. Um, 
There's many benefits from the samatha, but however, it's also is dependent on these circumstances. And if you take away the container, it it becomes, you know, you can feel the diffusion of that gatheredness. So often when people leave a retreat and they say, I'm I'm losing it, what they're really meaning is they're losing that sense of that container and that feeling of gatheredness. Instead of, you know, when the the samadhi deepens, it's a very different quality, a different sense of time, a different sense of space. Um, There's something slower, grounded, um, rooted, you don't feel so pulled around, and that can disperse with the with the impingement of contact and the and the world around, and also with the impingement of what emerges from our own uh, patterning and the flow of the the mind itself. And so this is why it's always balanced with um, and the ground for then the, the 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 wise discernment or the dhamma vijaya contemplation of dhammas, the investigation of dhammas, or what's sometimes called vipassana, to inquire and to see into the nature of the mind and its activity. So Ajahn Chah would say sometimes, you know, the, the, the samatha is uh, it's a bit like a, a stone you put on grass. You know, you, you put that stone on the grass and the grass doesn't grow, and you think that's great, all the problems have gone. But he said, if the stone gets knocked off and the right conditions arise, then the the hindrances, the dukkha, it arises. Or or another way that he he talked about, he was very, when he came to the West for the first time and he saw Westerners engaged in meditation, and these, these retreat forms weren't really and they came more from the Burmese lineage in the Thailand. They didn't really practice these kinds of retreat forms so much. So he was quite interested in in these sort of 10-day, um, one-week retreat forms that people were doing, particularly at that time. But then he came up with an interesting observation. He said, you know, you Westerners, you, you're a bit like people that have a good lawyer. He said, you get into trouble and then you ring up your lawyer to spring you out of jail. And he said, you, you're out there in the world and you get into trouble and you go off on a retreat. But you don't yet understand what gets you into trouble. You know, that you need to understand what, what mechanisms generate that sense of dukkha and struggle. And you haven't yet um, resolved or transformed or overturned the, the hindrances. And so we, we go back and <clears throat> the conditions help us sort of, you know, get ourselves together. But if we just rely on that um, peace from Samatha, then, then we haven't, complete, haven't got the complete picture. So Ajahn Chah would also say that there's two kinds of peace, the peace of calm from the Samatha and the peace of wisdom, which arises from insight. And the peace of wisdom is an unshakable peace. It is the unshakable deliverance of the heart, which is the ultimate fruit of this practice. The heart, the jitta, the mind in touch with the world. It feels, it can wobble and it can feel, but it's not completely flooded and shaken and overwhelmed with uh, what is impinging upon our experience. So the so we've already, I'm sure, been exploring these uh, and practicing these these two 
um, complementary um, tools of the of what brings about um, uh, freedom, stability, healing, uh, clarity, and so on. Um, and they're not really that separate. They're, you know, another image Ajahn Chah said, it's like a log. If you want to pick up a log, you pick it up by both ends. One end isn't really better than the other. Um, and he says, like Samatha and Vipassana, the two ends of the same log. Or he said, it's like a knife. If you want to cut through something, if you just have a blade with no strength, no back of the knife, then you haven't got the strength to cut through, um, to see through, to cut through experience of the hindrances, for example, dukkha or what's catching us. Or he says like a candle, this is other image you use often, it's, uh, you know, sometimes the samatha is a bit like building a candle. We can build a really, really huge candle, but if we don't light it, then it doesn't illuminate anything. We get peaceful and peaceful and peaceful. But uh, that wisdom quality is, is maybe not being nurtured. But on the other hand, if we're just trying to light a candle and see th- you know, how, how's, what's going on, and we've got no wax, then it just flame blows out. And we just get caught up in the patterning, caught up in our conditioning, caught up in our reactivity. One of the, uh, I think for many of us, and certainly for me and many of the fellow practitioners um, that I've I've known for many years, um, you know, uh, that that is difficult, is to equate um, the sense of being more peaceful with it going well and being good, and then the sense of being disturbed as something's gone wrong, and that we're a bad meditator. (laughs) But actually, often it's the disturbance that um, activates the import, the, this uh, need for the insight in meditation. And in fact, in some ways, you could say the path then becomes a path of being allowing ourselves to be disturbed. <laughs> disturbance is the path. It's not in the way. It becomes part of the, the path. You know, when we can't control the state, when we haven't got the conditions, when we get sick or aging or uh, we lose our faculties a bit or or we, um, you know, we're not in a peaceful situation, we get triggered, then if we're just relying on the peace, then we don't really have any ability to to deal with what is probably 90% of our life. So the, the the seeing into is 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 you know to to have um, a breath, steadying, but also to allow uh, to open the mind as well, open the awareness, um, and this can be a choice. We can sometimes just m- move in and out of that, you know, like. Sometimes we're just developing the samatha and really want to explore that. And that's a very, very good practice to keep working at. We might just say, not now. I don't really want to look at that state. We turn the attention back. But sometimes we, we do that and it, and it keeps rising. 
And so then it's an opportunity to explore what's arising, what's happening here. And so we change our attitude rather than this is disturbing me or distracting me, is to explore this is you know, an opportunity to contemplate this Dharma. And, and, and the dharmas that, you know, some of the dharmas that disturb us that we will be contemplating will be the, within the um, form of, the teaching form of what's, uh, what's traditionally called, and, you know, you're all very aware of it, of, the, of that, uh, which is hinders us, that which is called the hindrances, nirvana. So <clears throat> just to, um, to, to mention these, was I know that we've heard about them a lot, um, but they still trick us, don't they? <laughs> we still forget, we still get carried away, and we still struggle with them. And, um, and so it's, it's really important just, just to name these territories, and so to realize that each of these territories are what we'll be f- working with every day um, until, they, until they're uprooted, until they're transformed, until they no longer trick us or overwhelm us. And the first one is, you know, very powerful. It's Kamatanha, uh, Kamachanda, which is about the the um, the energy of of wanting, wanting something else. I mean, who have you experienced that today? <laughs> yeah, we want, and and it's particular. I mean, there's different forms, and we we'll look at some of the different forms of that tanha, thirsting energy. Um, there's the translation often used. Um, but in this particular formulation, it's it's looking at the desire to absorb into a sensory experience. And I think when we're in this kind of space with very little sensory experience, we really get to see that that energy, you know, wanting to, um, you know, it's and, and to to. This isn't like a, a bad, you know, it's not being a bad person or a bad thing, but it's, it's, um, it's a dharma, it's nature. When we identify and it becomes me, then it becomes um, a sense of self and uh, a struggle. But when, we, when it arises, you know, and say this is the mind in a state of wanting, it's a dhamma, it's nature, then we can contemplate it. It's called... Um, you know, sati mindfully, clear comprehension, bringing mindful attention and contemplation, awareness. How is this? How does it move? What is its narratives? What are the thought forms? And where does it take us? And then not to follow it, you know, not to follow that movement and to feel the agitation in that, you know, to, so a lot of the practice the, 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 is about containing these hindrances as they arise. So that's where you need the strength, like the back of that knife or the, the wax of the candle. You need some strength of steadiness to contain, especially if it's strong, desire or its opposite, aversion, irritation, you know, from subtle sense of just feeling a bit off to even rage, something comes up, a memory, someone upset us, something happened, and you think, I don't really want to deal with this, I don't want to, I'm here, I'm my peaceful retreat, and it crashes in, and then, you know, there it is. 
and it's very painful. Um, but, you know, to remember, as, as, as Ajahn Chah would say, desire, hindrance is, is the path. It's not outside of the path. It's actually it's building our path of awakening the, the strength and the, and the kind of qualities, enlightenment qualities that are needed for, to support our awakening don't arise in a vacuum. They arise from working with uh, the dukkha, from the hindrances. So I said, okay, so, you know, how then am I going to be with this? So, you know, this middle way of of not absorbing into it and continuing to inflame what is experienced and not repressing and turning away, but to tolerate, to contain. And a really good way of that, particularly with these two quite strong energies, these first two hindrances, is to really go beneath, to see the cognitive thought forms, how it perpetuates those that are connected with the sense of me. If you notice within all those narratives, there's a, there's a star character, <laughs> which is me and my opinion <laughs> about it all. <laughs> but to, to also... Um, explore going beneath the cognitive right and this is where the practice of body awareness is so important right into the body and the felt sense how does this feel underneath Uh, and not to do that to try and fix or but to just bring pure awareness there breath attention breathing with the constriction breathing with the fire breathing with the discontent Breathing with the longing and the wanting. Breathing with the lust, or with the hate, or with the rage, or the upset. And just feeling where it is in the body and trusting, because you're not trying to fix it from the sense of self, but we're trusting the awareness, the fundamental nature of mind, which is connected with wisdom and intelligence and healing and transformation. So our job is very simple. It's not to sort it all out, but just to bring that awareness to where the point of contact, where the hindrance is felt. It's breathing there. Same with the dullness. It's a bit more difficulty because that we go dull, um, shut down, don't want to do it. I don't want to be here. It's sort of connected also with aversion. You know, it can be very sort of psychologically profound. I just, I don't want to be born. <laughs> connected with that vipuvatanha, the second of the, you know, an aspect of the, the desire when, when we don't want to feel anything, the desire not to be. Um, it's quite painful to feel. We go dull, and you have habits of a shutting down, um, of not being fully embodied. Uh, the mind also, in subtler, subtler ways of dullness sometimes, just sort of going into sleep. When we're not necessarily tired, it's just a, the hindrance. So being able to, to bring some inquiry to that, the energy of some inquiry, what is this? We open the eyes, shift the posture, bring a little bit of energy to explore that state. Quite hard to 
to explore it, actually. It's easier in some ways to explore something that's got a lot of energy, like desire and um, aversion. And dullness, it's like, oh, where's the bed? You know, I just shut down. But what we can do is not have a big ambitious a project about it, but just, just say, just can I stretch my awareness a little bit around this state? Bring a little bit more um, attention. Stay with that. Where is it in the body? How does it feel? Before we just kind of slide along with it. And similar to restlessness, which is also we can really uh, feel a lot of that. Restlessness, doubt. Those two are very connected, the last two hindrances. Anxiety, um, insecurity, lack of confidence, not sure. Um, These kinds of um, sort of worrying... You know, this is this often a default place that we go to, just, you know, worry, anxious. Which is connected with that doubt and the and the restlessness of the mind. And you know, if we if we you know, those sort of lists, those Buddhist lists when they talk about the, the ten um fetters and the the overcoming of each of them on the path of awakening, the maturing of full awakening. Um, one of the last ones to go is a sense of restlessness, the restlessness of the mind. So we, we have to, going to have to be patient with some of those energies, that sort of sense of just, you know, from subtle to, to quite coarse, to quite profound sense of doubt that projects onto the sense of self, I don't know what I'm doing, why am I here, where I'm going, I haven't got a clue, I'm useless, those kinds of things. You know, to I don't know about all of this, I don't know what to do. And to be able to tolerate, it's very profound to be able to tolerate doubt and to know that which knows doubt isn't doubtful, it, has conf- it can be confident. It's, it's important it's uh, important to be able to see this is just a doubt, mind in doubt, because it happens a lot. And it, and it has this seduction. I've got to kind of come up with a plan and some clarity and to be firm and to be sure. And to, But it's okay not to know. And just to tolerate that state. I don't know. But I know that I'm aware and I'm present. I'm just here. And that's, that's enough. Just simply here and just watching and being with the activity of mind as it's rising and passing and manifesting and shaping the sense of self within the fundamental awareness and presence of my conscious attention. So Ajahn Chah talked about, you know, when we have the experience of the hindrances or we find ourselves um, being triggered, different states come, feeling tones, um, the activity of the mind, um, particularly that which is um, 
difficult to be with. He said to know and watch your heart and to know that it's pure. It's fundamentally pure. It's fundamental nature. But these states come and color the awareness, the heart, the jitta. So he said, be uh, be like uh, have uh, like a tightly woven net to catch what arises and examine what's present before you react. <laughs> That's very good advice, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> How often do we react on strong uh, emotion or feeling, or you know, and then we have to live with the karma of it and clean up the mess. <laughs> So, you know, the, to practice with these states. Um, in this container, uh, we have the space to really get to know very thoroughly how they operate within us. So that when we get triggered and they arise, we, we don't just get shaped and reactive and then pulled along, but we can know, ah, that's you know, desire, wanting. You, know, you can let it go, let it be. I don't have to be born into that. That's aversion. Feel really averse. Just be patient, just soften. It's dullness and restlessness and doubt and agitation and worry and fear and anxiety and so on. Just, uh, Just to recognize that a moment of knowing these states just as they are is a moment of uh, um, nourishing the seed of liberation. It's not wasted moment. You know, sometimes these states can get more fierce before they begin to lose their intensity, lose their their power over us. So this is, um, you know, this work that we're involved with here, it's, uh, it's not a magic wand really. <laughs> one sort of wishes it was, you know, take this pill, blue one or red one, <laughs> and you know, out the matrix, boing. <laughs> Even that wasn't uh, an easy path. You know, it's, uh, it's why it's called practice. You know, so we just pace ourselves. You know, that we're in a we're in a long stream of of uh, practice and awakening. Um, and to you know, as mentioned on the first night, as, uh, as one of the from the text that um, the path activity in and of itself breaks up that which obstructs. And then the fruit of that path activity arises according to the Dhamma. You know, we don't have to manifest the fruit. Well, it's, we're uh, kind of tending the ground so that fruit can arise. But it is important to recognize moments of the fruit, actually, because they're always here. You know, we might not be in the ultimate jhana, but there's a little bit more peace. Well, there's a little, there's some more interest and inquiry into what's, what's, really, what's really happening here. You know, what is this state? 
really interested in this. How does it feel? I can be with this, I can breathe with it. And then perhaps a moment of really being, seeing through its uh, density, its seduction, the sense of meanness about it, and realizing, oh, it's Dhamma, it's just nature. It's not self, it's not defining ultimately who I am. It's anicca, it's arising and passing and pulsing and lacking any uh, substance. So the Buddha said that once uh, this uh, working and uh, seeing these hindrances, the fruit of that, as we are less entrapped by them, he said, it's, you, you're going to feel like someone, increasingly you will feel like someone that's free from debt. It's like, he, you know, this heaviness, you owe something, burdened by something, starts to lift. Or it's like you're free from a, a sickness. You don't even know that we're suffering from this kind of a sickness until it starts to, to lift. And you think, oh, I feel pretty good. Some space, there's some joy, there's some energy, there's some you know, authentic sort of sense of well-being, clarity. So it's like being freed from a prison. When we're in a, caught up in the hindrance, it's like we've be, the mind's become imprisoned. It's lost its... It's true nature. Or like, uh, it's like being free from servitude. You're not just being pulled around by this state and that state. You have choice, agency. I don't really think I want to go down that route. That's what mindfulness will do. It will deliver us and give us a more mindfulness, more choice. I don't need to be pulled down there. And and that's, that's very liberating. Or he said, it's like leaving a, a desolate territory. You've been in a long time in a barren, desolate place. And you come to an oasis and there's a pool and there's a coconut juice. <laughs> I'm elaborating now. I don't think that was in the suttas. But anyway, <laughs> you have the feeling of, uh, of you know, it's enjoyment, pleasure, pleasure of being alive, you know, reclaiming our human uh, nature, kindness, compassion, well-being, empathy, clarity, and spiritual faculties start to, to naturally begin to, we can divert them, but they naturally are inherent within this true nature of mind. They start to become visible for us. So little by little, um, whatever's been happening for us today, or if we've had any difficulties, uh, not, never to give up on ourselves, 
or this practice. Remember that's part of the practice. Sometimes when I can feel completely uh, done in, lost and overwhelmed. But remembering that it's always possible, whatever is happening, to return again and again to this moment, this breath, and we find our way back to the path, one breath at a time. So I'll leave it there for tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.